Hello and welcome to another episode of the True Travel Podcast. I'm Laura Sanders and joining me this week is travel journalist Ollie Smith, who's just released a book about the world's forgotten wonders. Ollie will be talking about some of the destinations which feature in the book, Atlas of Abandoned Places, as well as some of his earliest adventures backpacking through Turkey and Syria and his career as a travel journalist working for Lonely Planet among other big publications. Before that though, just a reminder to hit subscribe so you never miss out on a new episode. And you can find more from the podcast and its guests by searching The True Travel Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Ollie, thanks so much for coming on the show. I hope you're well. Um, and an exciting time for you. You've just released a book, haven't you? All about um, the lost wonders of the world or the forgotten wonders of the world, I should say, which we're going to talk all about on this show. Um, but first of all, how are you? How's uh, how's life been? How have travels been throughout the pandemic? Um, yeah, yeah, life is good. Um, I've been uh, probably more more UK based these past few years than I was previously but still managing to get some foreign travel uh, in the mix as well was very lucky during the pandemic to sort of make a few trips in places that were opening up and kind of got to see some parts of the world without any visitors but yeah I've had a wonderful summer of traveling around the UK uh, which is which has been really fulfilling good stuff I think we've all taken that time to appreciate what's on our doorsteps haven't we Um, I certainly tried but it doesn't beat some foreign travel I have to admit brilliant so before we do start to come on to talk about your book just tell me a little bit about yourself because you're a journalist you're a travel journalist uh, and you've written a book and you produce as well so just tell me you know where it all started and how you got the travel bug yeah, absolutely. I sort of started my travel writing life uh, would have been uh, over 10 years ago now. I worked for Lonely Planet magazine, which started in in about 2008 and finished with the pandemic in in about 2020. So I was I was a staff writer there and a features writer there for many years and then uh, in other roles as well within Lonely Planet producing videos, uh, multimedia stuff. And then uh, since I've been freelance, I worked for uh, a number of different people really. Um and then doing travel stuff and doing other kinds of work as well in the content sphere so yeah I guess travel was something that was always very important to me growing up all my pocket money would be spent on on getting a flight to as far away a place as I could and then yeah when that sort of became a profession and and I I've kind of been very fortunate to travel very far and a great deal as well but I'm I've still not kind of exercised myself of the of the kind of of the, of the wanderlust of the of the kind of desire to go to new places and, and meet new people yes I think it's something that always stays with you and I think it's the old cliche of you know the more places you see the more you want to see so um good luck shaking it off I don't think you ever will no. so hopefully you can carry on doing it because I know you've got a family now haven't you and obviously it's not as easy when um when you've got kids in tow but it is doable as we've heard on this podcast brilliant so what would you say have been some of your most exciting trips um oh there's a great many of them I think I was lucky that I was involved in Lonely Planet's 40th anniversary road trip which was a, a trip from London to Sydney kind of following the route of the original guide but that was that was a good many years ago now uh, and I was very young and quite naive but it was it was a wonderful experience and uh, I thought at the time I've, I've never done this before and I'm probably never going to do it again that was a, a kind of a bit of a one of those journeys that becomes a bit of a a marker in your life. I think probably some of my sort of solo backpacking trips as well were pretty wonderful. I traveled around, did some backpacking around the Middle East 
when I was quite young and, and, and went through Turkey, Syria, Jordan, um, and the Palestinian territories and, and Israel. That was probably one of my all-time great trips. Uh, and then I'm trying to think more recently, I was very lucky to go to South Africa for the first time in between lockdowns, I should say, not during lockdowns. It was a time when I think it felt like I was the only tourist in the country and I had all the roads were completely empty and I was driving along through the Western Cape in a Toyota Yaris and had the stereo on. And that was a real, after the sort of confinement of the pandemic, that was a real moment where, you know, I sort of realised quite what travel does to you and how it can re-energise you and leave you changed in a way. It can, absolutely. Well, they all sound fantastic trips, and I'm sure we've only touched the tip of the iceberg with what you've done, especially having worked with Lonely Planet, which is brilliant. I've worked with them for the first time this year, which is great. But yeah, what what fantastic trips you've described there. And funnily enough, my guest a couple of weeks ago um, specialises in trips to Iraq and Syria and you know all of those places which are typically thought to be dangerous or you know off limits to travelers so it's interesting to hear that you've been there too um what were they like when you visited them so i I didn't go to iraq but i went to syria in before the war a couple of times because i I enjoyed it so much and i'd love to say uh, it was somewhere i'd always wanted to go but the reality was i think i had a couple of hundred quid in my bank account and i thought what's the furthest a flight could get me for a couple hundred quid and it was istanbul and then I got to Istanbul bus station and I thought, what's the furthest a bus could get me for however much spare change I had in my pocket? And it turned out it was Damascus and Aleppo. So I hopped on a bus and, and, and travelled around Syria and just had the most amazing time. I was quite young and quite um, kind of uh, green. And I just remember people taking me in, feeding me, giving me accommodation, just the most incredible hospitality. The cities were Aleppo in particular was so wonderful, so beautiful. And the old town was every bit as sort of tangled as more familiar places to British travellers like Marrakesh or Fez. And it was just a wonderful privilege to see it. And then obviously so heartbreaking to see what happened in the years that followed, really. Um, So, yeah, I I know some people have sort of been back in subsequent years. I've not really sort of wrestled with the ethics of of going somewhere like that. I know it's probably quite something you probably have to think about quite hard about where your money's going. Um, but yeah, the Middle East was a wonderful experience traveling. I know, I know it's, it's sort of being a solo male traveler. It can be a lot easier than it would be if you're a girl. Uh, it's what I've heard from some people, but um, I just had an absolutely wonderful time and just remember people being so wonderfully friendly to me. That's proper backpacking, isn't it? Just living off a shoestring budget and seeing where it will take you. Um, I don't think I've been quite that brave. I do like to have a bit of a plan. So hats off to you. And it sounds like you had an amazing adventure out of it. So let's move on now then to your book because of course that's filled with adventures going off to find uh, places which have been forgotten about and you think you know are really worth traveling to Uh, it's called atlas of abandoned places and there are all sorts of places in here we've got hotels monuments exclusion zones shipwrecks you know all sorts of places not just your typical sort of unesco world heritage site looking place so tell me a bit about the book how you know where did the idea come from what made you want to do this yeah, so I, I was, I was, it was, um, it was a, a wonderful gift because I, I, I was asked to do this book in the depths of the 2021 lockdown, and I'd been to a great many of these places. Uh, I, I knew people who'd been to uh, a few of the others, and it was a sort of a wonderful form of vicarious travel, being able to write about all these far-flung corners of the world while being kind of 
track back at home in the UK. But yeah, it's a sort of a coffee table book and it runs down sort of a number of places around the world that are kind of abandoned. And abandoned means it means many different things, I think. In some cases, it's about places that represent a kind of ideology, places like communist monuments that have fallen out of use. In some places, it's where there's a material that's been extracted that can no longer be profitably put to use. Um, And in some cases, it's redundant technology. It's something I think that's kind of entered into our consciousness an awful lot more um, over the past few years, because we're in quite an anxious time in our history when there's climate change, when there's obviously war going on in, in Eastern Europe. And the effect of this is people find abandoned places interesting because they kind of solicit them for premonitions of what our future world might look like if, if, if we weren't in it. So it's a kind of quite a morbid fascination in a way. Um, I, I think there's another thing behind it, which is that, you know, a lot of the world's been discovered. There's not an awful lot of new places that aren't familiar to people. But I think there's a sense that, you know, there's a sort of frontier in our midst, in these places that are kind of offer a, rather than a, f- a form of spatial travel, but a kind of sense of time travel that you travel back to the point where people uh, will last there and, and, and that you're sort of stepping into this little pocket of preserved time. Uh, so I think that's another feature of uh, abandoned places. Amazing. So yeah, essentially what you're saying is there are very few places in this world that we have not discovered or we don't know about. And so as a result of that, it's quite interesting to go back and find places that have been long forgotten about that have been abandoned that have that sort of in some cases as you say kind of a morbid element to it and that reminds me of um david attenborough's a life on our planet i don't know if you saw that documentary when it came out but he started off by you know taking us to chernobyl you know where people haven't been able to live for years uh, and it kind of shows all oh, this is what could happen in years to come if if we don't address climate change so that's what came to mind when you were speaking about this So with that said, what places stood out to you the most when writing this? Well, I think Chernobyl is an interesting one because we can fall into the trap of thinking, you know, this is a place that was sort of evacuated in in 1986. But it's kind of not really the case because I guess the great lesson of Chernobyl that a lot of naturalists sort of sees on is how sort of wildlife rebounded when people weren't there. Uh, But of course, in in Chernobyl, a great number of people did cling on and did stay there and and, and refused to leave, uh, particularly in the the countryside, in the exclusion. And there were some people that stuck around. Um, And then also the site sort of became a bit of a a tourist attraction and then of course you know as the sort of ultimate lesson that time doesn't stand still this the Chernobyl exclusion zone was a scene of fighting early this year and all these kind of sad associations that were there in the plant from you know four decades ago have, have just had a kind of overlay there of even sadder stories from the current war that's ongoing in Ukraine. So it's a kind of an interesting lesson of these abandoned places is that, you know, we go into these places thinking that, you know, we're the first person there since whoever might have left it. But that's almost not never the case. People pass through, animals pass through, things, you know, things decay, things rot, other things are added. Someone steals something, someone dumps something. It's, these places are a, something of a work in progress, for, for want of a better phrase. And uh, the abandonment is something that kind of often lives in our imagination. It's that we go there and we sort of imagine these these ghosts of the past because it feels like quite a raw place. Um, but yeah, in terms of the places that, that, that kind of, 
stood out for me. I mean, one of the most famous abandoned places in the world is the is the Brugeludza Monument, which I was lucky enough to go to a good few years ago now. And that's a somewhere that's quite hard to describe, but makes a bit more sense when you see a picture of it. It's this essential, this thing that looks a bit like a, a flying saucer that has landed on top of a mountain in rural Bulgaria. Um, and it's, it's a monument to the Bulgarian Communist Party. It was I think the initial competition for, for, for an architect's design was in the 50s, and then it only was completed in the 80s, and then there was only 10 years of communism for it, uh, before obviously the, the Iron Curtain fell, and, and, and that was the end of communism in Eastern Europe. But this thing sort of remained on top of a mountain, this mountain which is sort of a sort of spiritual centre of Bulgarian identity, uh, and it just sort of gradually decayed. Uh, and it was a structure quite like nothing else. I know the architect found some inspiration from the Pantheon in Rome. There was a bit of science fiction um, inspiration in there as well. It has this extraordinary presence. It, it's almost sort of like hallucinatory as you sort of go, as you reach it. It's right in the middle of nowhere. You drive for, I think it's something like the best part of an hour, mountain roads, and, and there it is. This thing up in the clouds in a place where you, you wouldn't really expect to find people let alone a, a monument of that design um, but yeah it, it was extremely evocative you go through you see these sort of mosaic depictions of marks and uh, you see these you know broken glass on the floor um, there's this enormous auditorium uh, the day I was there it was raining and the rain was sort of coming through the ceiling and landing on the chairs it was an extremely evocative experience um, and I think yeah that's a, that's a sort of pattern with with abandoned places that you get a picture a mental image of of a future that never was that you know people were sort of planning for years where this thing would be in use where it'd be the focus of gatherings and and actually you know it, it became redundant and has been redundant for something like three quarters of its lifetime but of course it's so big it's so monumental it's 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 in such a remote place that that it can't be dismantled and no one quite knows what to do with it it's just sort of a, a quite an awkward presence so yeah the Bujalutza monument is one that looms at the front of my mind amazing it sounds like quite a um i don't want to say harrowing place but i i suspect kind of eerie because it, it goes back to well yeah it comes from a period in europe which wasn't so good um and the idea that it's decayed and it's abandoned and stuff as well and am i right in thinking that a lot of the places in this book are lesser visited and lesser known so for someone looking to you know get out and, and not be in a really crowded tourist attraction you want to go and see something you know off the beaten path this would be a good bit of inspiration for them yeah i would never want to sell it as inspiration really because some of the places in the book are very much off limits and it might actually be illegal for you to enter some places in the book um it's it's forbidden to enter but it's 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 not something that's um that's sort of really policed effectively i mean a big example there being the paris catacombs uh, this enormous underground layer right underneath the French capital. There's a subculture of people, the cataphile, the people that, that like kind of burrowing down into the innards of the city and, and they, they have art installations, they have raves, and it's essentially this giant free space, this underground world that's essentially old quarries underneath Paris. And, and I think it is illegal or at least unlawful to go down there. And there are police who try and stop people, but it's such a huge subculture and, you know, it, it's, it's generally quite benign. It's not, it's not really really kind of there's nothing too sinister about it and so that's that's the sort of 
a lot of these places are in the grey zone. That said, there are some places in the book that are very much sort of ticketed attractions and are, even though they're abandoned, they're quite kind of well, or even though they might be considered abandoned, are actually quite well uh, well trodden. I'm thinking about Teufelsburg, the old Cold War listening station on the on the edge of Berlin, very popular spot. Um, I'm thinking about you know places like the bunkers of Albania, uh, which were built during the Cold War, which are essentially sort of these these little pillboxes which were created to defend the country. Uh, and there's nothing particularly unusual about them. They're just uh, like the ones you'd find on a on a beach or by a canal towpath in the UK. But what's extraordinary is that there are there are absolutely bonkers number of them. So many that nobody really knows quite how many some there are some estimates between i think 175,000 and others that are say the best part of a million uh, and and they're strewn across the country there are a legacy of this of this of the dictator albania enver hoxha who who believed his country was under siege from all sides and and, and wanted to make the country sort of impossible to conquer so he built all these pillboxes and in those cases i mean some of them are pizza ovens some of them are airbnbs some of them are um a garden shed some of them are chicken coops um and in those cases you could just sort of wander in and uh, and poke about and, and and sort of get a bit of a, a whiff of the past um so yeah in the book covers all sorts of different places some of which uh, i'd very much recommend you steer clear of and, and some of which you can buy a ticket and have a look at that's really interesting. I mean, I've learned a few things just listening to you there. So obviously people love to hear about off-limits places and, you know, those kind of mysterious places in the world. So what sort of off-limits places are we talking about? Well, there's some I, I, I could not recommend anybody going anywhere near and I won't pretend that I've been near for, for the book. I mean, places like there's a town in the book, which is an old asbestos mining town in rural Australia from a time when asbestos mining was something that people weren't really cognizant of the of the dangers of asbestos and a lot of people passed away. And obviously you'd be very foolish to go anywhere near a town like that. Um, and then there's, there's also um, places like a military bone yard which is a place where kind of fighter jets are kept in storage i think they do run bus tours but you'd be quite foolish to jump the fence and and have a wander around there um so i think th- those probably are the places that it best viewed on google earth or perhaps in my book but i mean that said there is a community um which has sort of popped up in the last few decades called the urban exploration community uh, and they they sort of there's a certain pride in accessing places that are kind of hard to access and 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 there's a kind of a theater of the way people have sort of snuck into places These, this community where people have kind of you know usernames or nom de guerres and blur their faces that it's very much sort of like bragging about who can get in where at what time and evade which security guard and hop over what fence or you know um whatever that might be um so that's 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 another that's another kind of community for whom abandoned places are important that's interesting there are all sorts of strange online communities out there i've learned that in my short career so far you know if you want to find somebody on anything there's a community out there so that's really interesting um great stuff i know that we are running short on time ollie um but what you've told me so far about the book it sounds really interesting and it sounds like it was a joy to write during a time where we were all confined to our houses and you could be exploring the world from your desk is there Anything which surprised you at all when writing this book? I think that I was surprised by so many places. Um, uh, I think if there's there's one place that I'd really like to go that I didn't that I didn't get to for the book, 
I think I'd quite like to go to a place called San Martino dos Tigres in Angola, which is it's an old kind of fishing village on a remote island that wasn't originally an island. It was originally an isthmus, but the sea broke through uh, one day. And I, I just remember seeing it and, and, and doing research around it and, and thinking this place looks so eerie and so beautiful. It has these old sort of fish processing factories. It has this very sort of moving little church. Uh, and what, what beguiled me about it was the journeys people made to get there. People hopped in, I think it's something like a, a multi-day journey where you have to get a four by four, you drive along a beach, and then you have to time it with the tide so that you can reach the island. And, and it feels like a kind of allegory for the sands of time, seeing all these places where sand has sort of crept through broken windows and, and under the doors. And I just thought one day I'd, I'd really love to go there. Yeah, it sounds very eerie. And it sounds like you could get some good photographs thinking like a travel photographer now. You could get some good photographs there. Um, really cool. Okay, well, Ollie, thank you so much for coming on. What have you got coming up next? Any travels planned? Um, I've got another book that I'm, I'm going to be working on for uh, over the next year. I'm not quite sure quite how much I can say about it, but that's going to be sort of more of a kind of narrative book about walking in the UK, a bit about a bit about walking, a bit about travel, a bit about spirituality. So that's going to be taking up a, a lot of my time. But yeah, uh, I just I'm I'm really enjoying the autumn at the moment. Really enjoying seeing having kind of crisp weekends with the, with the falling leaves and and, and after that kind of infernally hot summer it's it's quite refreshing and, and and wonderful yes agreed so diving straight back in with writing well brilliant um best of luck with your next book ollie and of course with the launch of this one as well um and thanks so much for coming on brilliant thank you very much <laughs>